Shri Damodar Janani by Shivaram Swami Chapter 6 The Attempt to Bind Krishna Taddama Bhadyamanasya Svarbharkasya Kritagasaha Divyangulunam Adbhutena Sandadhenyacha Gopika Yadasittad Apinyonam Tenanyad Apisandade Tad api divya anglunam yunam yad yad adhata bandhanam. When Mother Yashoda was trying to bind the offending child, she saw that the binding rope was too short by a distance of the width of two fingers. Thus she brought another rope to join it. This new rope was also short by the measurement of two fingers, and when another rope was joined to it, it was still two fingers too short. As many ropes as she joined, all of them failed. Their shortness could not be overcome. Srimad Bhagavatam 10, 9, 15, and 16 Yashoda Devi was resolute in her determination to reform her son's character. He was now old enough to be disciplined and old enough to learn good behavior. Tying him up would teach him a good lesson, she thought, and it would give her freedom to complete her housework. Her mind, unindated with pure love, Yashoda did not consider that the entire creation, beginning with the great Brahma and ending with the smallest insect, is bound by the qualities of her son's illusory powers. Instead, she thought that, like her, he was an ordinary human being. So she set about the impossible task of binding the all-pervasive one. In time, after much exertion, she would succeed. Such is her good fortune, but it would not be an easy task. And two secret ingredients, besides a rope and an anchor, would be required. Yashoda, however, thought her plan simple, and that her priority was requiring the material ingredients. What would she tie him to? She did not have to look far. Just near the entrance to the courtyard of the palace lay a mortar that had been upset in her chase after him. It was a public mortar used by villagers and travelers. Was it he who had knocked it over or she? It did not matter. The mortar was conveniently close and was heavy enough to be the anchor. Krishna understood what was on her mind. She is not tying me down, and definitely not to that. But she was. Madhya Shoda was not about to entertain any more nonsense. Forcibly dragging Krishna a few steps to the mortar, she said, Since you are so fond of mortars, I will marry you to this one. You will be tethered like an elephant calf. Let the wedding begin. But that was easier said than done. And where was the rope with which to tie him? In her hair. With a graceful movement of her left hand, Yashoda Devi took a golden cord that bound her braid at its root and dangled the silken tie in front of Krishna. Arching her lovingly eyebrows, she shot a piercing glance at him, which he returned with ten of his own. Was he like Daksha, to be bound at the neck by a rope? Did she really think... He was a docile baby elephant? Ashoda paused momentarily to consider which part of him to bind. 
certainly not the wrist or calves. That would cause him pain. And his hands and feet were so small enough that he could wiggle free. But he would have to be bound firmly. But how? At the waist, chuckled Yoshoda. Well tied around the belly, your chubby behind and scheming head will not allow the, a rope to slip free. She giggled at her joke. That was not funny, he thought. Christian did not know whether to scream or cry. How could she humiliate him in this way? Just because I am her son does not mean I take birth. And just because I look human does not mean that I am mortal. Both time and death fear me. Does she not? No, she does not. Krishna's real identity was certainly beyond the range of sense perception. That is why he is called Adhokshaja. But Madhya Shoda's mind and senses were sanctified with thousands of feelings of love for her son. Those feelings made it impossible for her to think of him other than as a toddler and as her son. How could she fear him? She could not recognize his greatness. I am Vipu, infinite. How does she propose to tie me? But the same motherly affection did not allow Yashoda Devi to think of Krishna as being infinite. However, the truth was that while Krishna felt very finite, when cuddled in her arms, he was simultaneously very unlimited. In trying to bind Krishna without his consent, Mother Yashoda would experience that unlimited nature of his. Wanting to bind him and actually binding him were two different things. The watching gopis doubted whether fettering Krishna would be as easy as Yashoda surmised. They whispered to each other as to not to anger their queen. He is not ordinary. If he does not want to be tied, who knows what illusions he will conjure up. There is no use in trying to discourage the queen. She is determined as he is resistant. The first silken cord was so obviously too short for his waist. And so Yashoda reached for a similar one that tied the end of her braid. Still holding on to Krishna's hand, she cleverly tied the two silken cords together and tested the knot. It was strong. This would be enough for his waist. But what about the rope to reach and encircle the mortar? That would have to come from somewhere else. Turning to the Kriyarist gopis, Lashoda saw two maidservants and ordered, O Kurangvati and Lavangvati, please bring some smooth, soft rope made of jute. Do not delay. Be quick. The women ran into the palace. What rope could they take to Mother Yashoda? They were gopis, and so their minds immediately turned to the ropes that were made for churning butter and for tying cows. Wading through the stunning turmoil of Yashoda's storeroom, they reached for a tasseled churning ropes hanging from a peg. Two should be enough, said Kuranga. Let us take a few more, just in case, replied Lavanga. Having completed their mission, the two women returned to the front gate, where a significant crowd was gathering. Now that Yashoda Devi was actively involving the villagers, word spread from house to house. Soon there arrived many opulently dressed gopis, the embodiments of motherly affection, accompanied by their curious sons and daughters, nicely dressed, ornamented, and combed. Everyone was dressed for the Diwali festival. But did they know that they would be attending a festival much greater than the Festival of Lights? 
they're participating in a supremely they're participating in a supreme festival of love premavali silken cords no longer binding her hair yachodi devi's braids loosened and locks hung over her forehead accentuating her intense effort to educate krishna as beautiful as yashoda was when carefully dressed and groomed she was all the more beautiful when wind-blown from the exertions of loving devotion the villagers looked on in amazement lavanga tie the ropes together and wrap them around the mortar the gopis tied the four churning ropes together tassels and all then lavanga thrice wrapped the entire length around the tapered center of the mortar tying the shorter end to the longer and when the knot was tight lavanga held out the long end to yashoda but before joining the outstretched cord of the rope yashoda devi would first have to tie krishna's waist and that would prove to be more difficult than she thought who does she think i am he thought who does she think she is by the arrangement of divine providence a varied audience had gathered to witness this unique pastime the demigods watched from the heavens the birds and monkeys from the trees and the gopis and guards and children from the town square and each of these observers had a different perspective on the mission that mother yashoda was about to undertake the brajbasi's viewpoint was softened by krishna's sweetness while that of the demigods was illuminated by his opulence seeing the principles of transcendental mellows the rajbasi's viewpoint was certainly more elevated that, but that viewpoint could only be fully appreciated when the truths of krishna's greatness were clearly understood as yashoda devi held the cord with which she would tie krishna's belly the demigods excitedly converse amongst themselves how is it possible that this gopi thinks that she can bind the all-pervading one who cannot even be measured calling the illusion of love since lord krishna has no beginning and no end where is the twine long enough to encircle his infinite proportions where will she find it the devas conferred amongst themselves analyzing philosophically how krishna's transcendental form was without limits by doing so they tasted spiritual bliss the lord existed before this universe because he is its creator and he also continues to exist after the universe because he is its destroyer he therefore has no beginning and no end in the way that we universal beings envisage such things moreover being the creator and destroyer he is actually outside the universe trying to encompass him with a very insignificant part of this creation a silken cord is therefore without meaning another demigod added when it is said that the lord has no beginning and no end the actual meaning is that although we see his beautiful childish form he actually has no front no back no side no top no bottom not only that he has neither inside nor outside here, and queen yashoda should know that better than anyone else a demigod reflected when she looked inside his mouth she not only saw the universe inside him but she saw herself along with him in other words his outside was his inside that is because he is all-pervading and so inside and outside are futile concepts in relation to him if therefore he has no inside or outside how can he be enveloped by a rope and tied in one place krishna's limitlessness is synchronous with his all-pervasiveness 
the two being features of his inconceivable nature and potencies. Savoring great pleasure, the celestials continue to elaborate on the all-pervasive nature of Yashoda's son. The wife of King Nanda does not realize that Lord Krishna is all-pervading, Sarvam Vyapi. She is convinced that he is a human like her, but he is not. All-pervading means that he is everywhere, and so he has no outside. And since inside is the opposite of outside, he also has no inside. He is like the ether or the sky. He is everywhere. Can one tie up the sky? Another demigod chuckled. How could she think that he is an earthly being? Ordinary mortals have bones, flesh, and organs covered by external layer of skin. But Lord Krishna is through and through concentrated essence of Satchit-ananda. Moreover, he looks the same inside as he does look outside. One demigod questioned, Could it be said that inside he is the super-soul and outside he is the child whom we see? The immediate reply came, No, he has the same form of concentrated ecstasy whether he is seen from the inside or outside. Not only are Lord Krishna's inside and outside the same, but he is also within everything, because everything that exists is made of his potencies. Therefore, he has no outside to bind. Indeed, if Queen Yashoda paused to think, she would realize that he is within the ropes that she wants to use to bind him. In other words, he cannot be bound, because nothing exists that is distinct from him. A heavenly sage said, He is the cause of all causes. And so the universe and everything in it, ropes included, are he himself. Trying to bind him is like trying to burn a fire with a flame. The celestials applauded the example. Another sage added, Being all-pervading in time also makes the Lord impervious to any time-bound action, such as being tied up. Right now, he is not tied, but Yashoda thinks that in a few moments he will be. She is wrong. He is not restricted by the time factor, and so he will remain the same unfettered state in the future as he is now. As intelligent as they were, even the demigods had difficulty in understanding the consequences of Krishna being all-pervasive in time. Nonetheless, they accepted what they had heard from authorities and tried to contemplate his greatness. Some reflected, He is untied now. Therefore, he will always remain untied no matter what actions Queen Yashoda takes in the future. Purva Param If we demigods cannot even conceive how to bind Lord Krishna, then why does this gopi think she can? Verily, it is impossible. Someone added, He is infinite, Vibhu. How can he be bound? Hearing that Krishna was infinite in size, some demigods queried this proposal on the basis of a logical principle that only objects of medium size possess form, whereas both infinitesimal and infinite things are formless. One deva said, That which is infinite, like ether, or infinitesimal, like the atom, is formless. And we see Lord Krishna being medium size and possessing a human-like form. How can he be said to be infinite or the opposite, infinitesimal? That would make him formless. Another deva was quick to respond. He can be infinite and also be possessed of form because he is different from anyone else or anything else. His inconceivable potencies make all such things possible and thus 
reconcile what appear to be contradictions to us, but which are not contradictory for him. Therefore, Sprinti says he is neither infinite nor infinitesimal, and yet he is simultaneously both. In the same way, he is said to be colorless, yet his complexion is blackish and his eyes reddish. The Supreme Lord is described in such contrary ways according to how he employs his inconceivable powers. To confirm Krishna's inconceivable nature and potencies, another demigod added, A similar scriptural statement is, In size, he is neither big, medium, nor small, yet he is all three. The demigods clapped their hands and chuckled in good-humored appreciation of their Lord. Finally, one of them summarized, Logic has its place in the process of evidence, but is insufficient to fully explain or understand Lord Krishna. For this reason, Bhishmadev says, Achincha kalu ye bhava natvam starkete yojet prakatebya param yachcha tad achinchasya lakshanam. Quote, One should not try to understand by logic that which is inconceivable. That object which is beyond material nature is called inconceivable. Let us recall that Mother Yashoda looked into the mouth of her medium-sized boy and saw within him the infinite universe. And she also saw his divine form. Now I ask you all, O wise ones, what size was the Lord that she saw? Again, the demigods laughed in wonder. Some said infinitesimal, while others said infinite. And still others said inconceivable. And so it went on. Let us be honest. The Lord is far beyond our ability to understand Him. Not only did Yashoda see the Lord as being infinite within His medium-sized mouth, but according to our Creator, Brahma, Lord Krishna exists in His fullness with all potencies in every infinitesimal atom. Can any of us comprehend that? Someone asks, This universe, along with each and every one of us, is present in every atom. Yes, and again, we are present with Lord Krishna in each of the atoms, within each universe, within every atom, and so on, ad infinitum. Inconceivable, said the demigods, and laughed. Let us just say that Lord Krishna eternally exists in his own transcendental form, which remains forever inconceivable to the greatest of minds. Looking first at each other, and then at Yashoda Devi, the celestials sang in chorus, and she wants to encircle Krishna with a cord and tie him to a mortar? That would truly be inconceivable. One demigod said, It would, but it is quite likely that we will see it. How can you say such extraordinary things? Because in the same way the power of the Lord's grace makes his unmanifested form visible to our eyes, it is most likely by the same grace he will enable Queen Yashoda to bind him. And by that same grace still, he may well grant us eyes to see that happen. The demigods were eager to know what teaching would be imparted to them by such a pastime. But before they could ask, another topic emerged. How was the unmanifested Lord known to the intelligence, mind, and senses? And so they conversed. The Lord is adhokshaja, transcendental to knowledge gained by the senses, gross and subtle, so he can be seen only by his special grace. Indeed, everything that we conditioned souls experience is made possible by the agency of his potencies, but that is his uncommon mercy. 
Yes, beyond this material nature lies his eternal spiritual nature, which is unmanifested, avyaktam, even to those who have his common mercy. It therefore requires his special mercy to see him in his original transcendental form. The demigod who hinted earlier that they may see Damodar Lila now continued, Behold that beautiful child possessed of a human-like form, Martyalingam. That is the original form of Godhead. The fact that we see him indicates that we are recipients to some degree of special mercy. Is that why you suggest that we may be privileged to see his pastime? Yes, but our privilege does not match that of Queen Yashoda, who truly thinks that he is an ordinary child. Why is that? Because our qualification to see him is a consequence of our service, whereas her qualification to see him is a consequence of her love. Service gives us the privilege of knowing his majesty, while love gives her the privilege of knowing his sweetness. Is the superiority of spontaneous love over regulated service the lesson to be learnt from this pastime? Yes, that is it. May the Lord instruct us in the way that he has planned. Agreeing to this conclusion, the demigods became silent and turned their attention to Mother Yashoda and her son. What would she do? They hoped they could see. Yashoda Devi was intent on binding her son. Nevertheless, she could not but feel compassion for him. And as always, she could not but be absorbed in thinking of him. Gazing at his human-like form, she thought, How has the Creator fastened such an exalted form, which limbs of unmatched softness, beauty, and sweetness? Although he appeared to be crushed by a cart when he was a baby, by the grace of the Lord my son was saved. Now I'll bind the same child with a rope. May Lord Narayan forgive me for any transgression. Treating him in a way that a mother treats an ordinary child, Yashoda set about binding Krishna. But she was no ordinary mother, and he was no ordinary child. He was Adhokshaja, the one who was beyond all sense perception, who, by submitting to the overwhelming influence of Yashoda's love, became further known as Avyakta, the one who concealed inconceivable powers to appear like a human being. And while Krishna would agree to subordinate himself to Yashoda, he would not do so without resistance. Did she think he could be so easily humiliated? Mother, do you think it's right that you punish me like this? If you were someone else's son, I would not. But since you are my responsibility, I cannot neglect your education. If I do, then who will teach you right from wrong? Krishna had an answer for that argument. His more lenient father could educate him. And no doubt, Nandaraj would not make such a fuss about a little spilt yogurt. Thinking better of voicing his thoughts, Krishna said, But does my mischief warrant such severe punishment? Dear son, this morning you were more than mischievous. Was I? You were offensive, an aparadi. Krishna was offended. An offender? Yes. And so your punishment must be proportionate to your offense. And so it was time for Krishna to be tethered to the mortar. By the arrangement of providence, the first length of cord that Yashoda drew from her hair were too short for what was needed. Therefore she called on some of her maidservants to bring more rope while securely holding Krishna's hand with her own. Krishna was fuming. He thought, I do not want to be bound up, nor do I have time for such things. 
I have friends to play with and houses to raid. These are my daily activities and I am duly bound to accomplish. My Dharma. How then can I be restrained by a rope? Yashoda Devi said, Now stand still. While Krishna rubbed his eyes in frustration, she let go of his hand, knotted the rope to the hair cord, and with the extended length encircled him. Well, almost. There's a common expression to indicate when something is just a little too short, or where two ends just do not meet. That aphorism is called dvi angulonam, or short by two fingers. To be exact, it means to be short by the width of two fingers. When Yashoda Devi tried to knot the ends of the rope around Krishna's belly, it was dvi angulonam, short by two fingers. How strange, she thought. My joined hair ties were just as little shorter than his girth. But the churning rope I added more than enough to compensate for the deficit. Now even the combined length remains insufficient? Yashoda Devi paused and then thought, Perhaps I made the knots too big, but on closer inspection they did not appear to be so. Anyway, what can be done? I will add another piece. As she reached for another rope, Mother Yashoda caught Lavanga's doe-like eyes and their startled look and said, How very strange. Perhaps it was strange, but housekeeping was waiting and there was no time to waste. Grasping the rope, she tied it to the rest and pulled it taut. There. But it was still too short. Now that is strange. There is another figurative way for expressing shortness between two ends, and that is called Chanaka Ali, a distance of two chickpeas, an indefinite but small distance. Yashoda Devi was suspicious that this inability to secure Krishna to the motor was due to some mystic power, his or someone else's. Afraid that he would run away and hide to, in the forest, Raja's queen sat on the upturned motor and pulled Krishna onto her lap. He may be difficult to tie, but he is easy to embrace, she thought. Give me some more rope. Yashoda Devi's argument with Krishna had attracted an increasing number of village ladies and children in the courtyard. Now the puzzle of the untiable ropes drew the Rajwasis into a human ring around their queen and her son. They whispered amongst each other, and the brave one spoke to Yashoda. O queen, what is this game you are playing? This is not a game. I am disciplining my son. What is stopping you from accomplishing it? The rope seemed to shrink when I tried to tie him. The ropes did appear to shorten. But when Yashoda looked at each individual rope's length, they seemed to remain the same. They were not shrinking. Tying piece upon piece, the length was becoming longer and longer. But the total still remained two fingers width short. This is amazing. Krishna made a wry smile. Yashoda's inability to encompass him was his way of instructing the world that among the three processes of, to approach him, fruit of work, mystic yoga, and devotional service, the first two would be ineffective in reaching him. Seeing Krishna still unfettered in Mother Yashoda's embrace, the demigods had evidence of their earlier conclusion. He was both medium-sized and infinite. They said, just see, although the Lord is completely enveloped in his mother's lap, 
still no amount of rope can bind him. We are faithful in our understanding. In some inconceivable way, the Lord is both medium-sized and infinite. From this, we can infer, although unseen by us, he is also infinitesimal. And he is all three simultaneously. The demigods applauded the Lord's inconceivable potencies. Krishna, however, was not interested in celestial praise. He was more concerned with convincing his mother that he did not want to be bound. And as stubborn as she was in her attempt to tie him, he was all that much more stubborn in his determination that she would not. His stubbornness exceeded hers by at least two fingers. Krishna grimaced. Why does mother think she can bind him? I cannot be tied up by effort alone, even by her. When Yashoda Devi saw that the rope remained two fingers short even after the last supplement, she was convinced that there was witchcraft in the air. There was more to this than meets the eye, and certainly there was. The Rajvasis had earlier come to the same conclusion. As passive observers, they were not so caught up in the events as their queen. While she struggled to bind Krishna, they playfully offered Yashoda Devi churning ropes and ropes for tying cows and even links of ropes tied together. Restraining their laughter, they said, O oh, queen, try this piece. Maybe it will serve the purpose. Krishna smiled lightly at the Rajvasa's humor, but his mother was not in the mood. O oh, revered ladies, have you decided to entertain yourself by casting a spell my way to prevent me from correcting my son? The ladies laughed openly. O Queen of Raj, we have already warned you that this boy's power to deceive others is so evolved that he shames the legendary Kapalika thieves. To be honest, it appears that your son's greatest pleasure, perhaps his only pleasure, lies in stealing. Yashoda replied, He was born at an inauspicious hour, so it is to be expected that he is under the influence of malefic planets and does not know the difference between others' property and his own. That may be, but what has that to do with our being sorceresses? Yashoda continued, I will tell you, the shortness of this rope must be the result of some black magic that you ladies possess. You criticize his thievery to make me think that you are against him, but actually you are against me and favor him with your magic. Shame! Laughing good-naturedly, the gopis replied, Dear queen, we swear at your feet we have no such magic power. And if we did, we would use it in your service, not in the service of a thief who causes our village so much grief. Yashoda Devi's doubt regarding the gopis' conspiracy was allayed. But still, she was perplexed as why she was unable to knot the rope around Krishna's belly. The gap of two fingers seemed like two witches mocking her. How strange! And no doubt it was. Krishna's vibhu shakti, the potency by which he reveals his opulence, was now serving her master in ways invisible to the eyes and mind. And Krishna was adamant that he would not be tied. His conduct was that of boys when they are unwilling to submit to their mothers. Seeing his unwillingness, the potency realized his every desire, the satya sankalpa shakti, address the vibhu shakti o oh, powerful one our lord and master does not desire to be bound please exercise your powers to make any effort to bind him impossible the vibhu shakti replied o oh, attentive one so be it your order has already been accomplished 
until our Lord wills it otherwise, he shall remain unrestrained. In this way, by the influence of Krishna's invisible potencies, the rope continued to remain too short to be tied, regardless of how much was added to it. For the people of Gokul, this miracle became a pleasure sport in which everyone ran to their houses for rope that they enthusiastically offered to Queen Yashoda. No one wanted to miss out on the opportunity of later saying, My churning rope is also a part of the miracle. And Mother Yashoda kept on adding new links of rope, hoping that each would be the one to tie Krishna's belly. While she nodded a new piece, silence reigned. When again the rope was too short, a chorus of gas filled the air. When she added the next piece of rope, again everyone hushed, and so it went on. Every rope was intact in its original length, but the aggregate shrank to the same dearth. Whenever it was time for a new length of rope, the gopis would call out, Take mine, take mine! And with so many churning ropes dangling around her, Yoshoda Devi looked like a goddess at the foot of a banyan tree. This rope is enchanted and will serve your purposes. Please take it. No, take my rope. It cannot be influenced by Krishna's magic. Queen Yashoda accepted them all. Yet as many ropes as she tied together, the total length was always two fingers short. Neither her efforts nor the pure ropes of the Rajvasis were a match for Krishna's vibhushakti. She thought, although the gap in the rope is so small, it behaves like a boundless chasm. The addition of another rope makes not an atom difference to that two-finger space. I can only imagine that this is the pastime of the Supreme Lord, who desires to display his unlimited powers to the residents of Gokul. Seeing Yashoda Devi's anxiety, Gopis tried to calm her. O oh, queen, who is more fortunate than you? Yesterday you tied a small golden chain around Krishna's waist, and now you cannot bind him with all the ropes in our village. One elder said, no matter how many ropes you tie together, they can never be joined. And the shortness is always a mysterious two fingers width. It seems that there's some divine interference in your plan. Do you th not think that you should abandon your attempts at tying your son? While Krishna continued to rub his eyes and sob, Yashoda Devi paused to consider his, this advice. It appeared that he was enjoying the attention and vying the sympathy of the Rajvasis. Whatever the mystery may be, it is my duty to discipline him, she thought. To her maidservant, she said, Bring more rope. O queen, we had emptied your palace of every kind of rope. Hearing this, Krishna was momentarily lighthearted. Perhaps this ordeal is now over. But it was not to be. Turning to the villagers, Yashoda Devi said, Bring all the rope from your houses. I will bind this boy even if I have to collect all the rope in Gokul. The gopis joyfully accepted this order on their heads. They were blissfully eager to participate in and witness Krishna's incomparable pastime. To gather all the available ropes, some ladies scurried home while others sent their sons. The ropes for churning, the ropes for tying cows' legs, the ropes for tethering naughty calves, they brought them all. And from above, the demigods saw the movements of the Rajvasis in the way that humans see ants swarming around an anthill. They wondered, and they were amused. After finding her second wind, Yashoda Devi feigned anger. She brusquely took all the ropes handed to her and tried to bind her son. All to no avail. 
oblivious to whatever powers that was causing this wonder. The doe-eyed housewives of Gokul laughed quietly and tasted a special bliss in their hearts. The ropes seemed to have a life of their own. Sometimes they were all visible, and sometimes only a few. Truly mysterious, thought the queen. So much rope has been added, and yet I see nothing but the silken cords for my own hair. Where does it all go? Yoshida Davy's determination was an expression of her love, and the same can be said of her anger and of her sense of obligation to discipline Krishna. Indeed, her entire being was a manifestation of maternal love, and so Krishna accepted her chastisement as if it was a caress. But he did not wish that it was over. Rubbing away a cascade of tears, Krishna pleaded in a voice choked with the rich nectar of his words, Dear Mother, I told you that the Supreme Lord arranged for the devastation of your churn and storeroom. Still you wanted to punish me, who am without fault. Can you not see the same Lord is performing this miracle to protect me from your injustice? Mother Yashoda eyed her honey-tongued child. Oh, you, whose words coax mango juice from stones. Do you not know that for a child his mother is God? That is the statement of scriptures. Now you just watch as I take this rope and nullify your philosophy. Krishna again began to cry, wiping his tears with his hands that had become sore from rubbing. Their hearts pierced by the sorrow of their friend, Subal, and other young boys began to cry. Thinking of a new plan, Madhya Shoda tied together one, two, three links of rope and tied that length embracing Krishna's belly. She dexterously wrapped the rope around him once. The Rajwasi gasped twice. The demigods gasped thrice. Yashoda gasped. The ends remained the customary two fingers short. The Rajwasis conferred. Yashoda Devi fears that her child will run into the forest, and so she insists on tying him. But as many times as she encircles him with rope, her effort remains frustrated. He must be a mystic who will only be bound when he becomes empathetic to her labors. That truth we are witnessing now. The demigods wondered, how is this? Our Lord is encircled thrice, but the rope cannot be joined. From this we have first-hand evidence of his contrary nature. As stated in the aphorism, tad ejati, tad najati, tad dure, tad tvanantike. The Supreme Lord walks and does not walk. He is far away, but he is very near as well. Yashoda Devi pondered, This boy is always involved in supernatural incidents. First, there was the death of Putana, Shakatasura, and Trinarvata. And now this? What is usually the most effortless thing to accomplish, tying a knot, has now become impossible. One thousand hands of rope have disappeared into the space of two fingers. I wonder what the Supreme Lord wants to teach me by this. Krishna thought, There is no one to match the loving devotion of my mother. I exist by the grace of the dust of her lotus feet. By that love alone is not sufficient to restrain me. Two more things are required. That is, the significance of the two-finger with gap. Until my devotees exert themselves fully in my service, Bhakti Parishrama, and until I take compassion upon them, Matkripa Atapta, I do not become theirs.